0: Let's pray. Father, we, um, we cry out to you for help because I, I know how much I need it, uh, how many times, even just in the last week, that the words, it is well, have not easily rolled off my tongue. And Lord, we so easily and so quickly get caught up In things that are very, very temporary. And allow them to shield our vision. And shield our hearts from what is eternal and what is unmovable. And that is you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would indeed imitate Paul as he follows Jesus. And that our eyes and hearts would be firmly fixed on you. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, loving music as a child and hearing music from all kinds of genres and time periods, um, I had to learn that the lyrics of good songs have a context and the lyrics of popular songs have a context that gives meaning to them, a backstory, an incident, or a narrative. So that I could know that no matter what my problem was, no one would come and solve it, regardless of me checking out the hook while the DJ revolved it. And I had to learn that the day the music died was about a lot more than pie, Chevys, and Levees. And that knowing the context to a song or any other piece of art gives meaning that would otherwise go missed. For example, what we just sang, knowing that Horatio Spafford wrote that while floating over the watery grave of his family on his way to follow God's call and floating over that grave, penned those words that it is well with my soul, remembering that Jesus In Jesus, his sin was nailed to the cross, and that from heaven his Savior would come again. And so it can be well. Throughout this year, we've gone through the book of Philippians, and today we draw that to a close. And Philippians reads a little bit like Paul's greatest hit album that you read this and you're like oh that's in philippians 2 oh that's in philippians 2 and we so you, there's so much in this short letter that has become really really well known phrases and sentences and paragraphs And in the same way that good songs have backstories that inform the meeting, the greatest excerpts from Philippians or the rest of Scripture have deep meaning that is only found when we are looking what's coming before and after to understand the flow of what is being said. And it's my hope that as we've been going through Philippians this year, that we have all gained a deeper understanding and appreciation of these I guess you could call them famous phrases that we find in this letter. And today, we have in our passage probably one of the most repeated sentences of all Philippians that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, in last week's passage, Paul spoke of his reading of Scripture and how God provides peace. And himself, and that Paul was rejoicing from a prison cell and urging the Philippians to do the same. And today, this this ironic prison cell rejoicing continues because he sees God giving so much more than just peace. So let's read, let's read, starting in verse 10. Here we go. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, Continues this ironic rejoicing. So, this morning, what we're looking at building off of last week, because this is very much in flow with the rejoicing of the peace that God gives and the urging to pray and the promise that God is with you, that we rejoice in the Lord who graciously gives us his peace and himself. Out of God's generosity and provision, we have ample supply. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's, it's, it's intentionally repeated from last week because the idea and the flow here is so much the same. So we have this ample supply. So let's look. There's three things here in this first paragraph that, that, that God gives us. The first is joy. This is the ironic prison cell joy of Paul. I rejoice in the Lord greatly now at length that you have revived your concern for me. You... You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Now, while this is a very brief part of the passage, it's noteworthy. Paul has done in in burdening their hearts for Paul. In Hebrews, we read that, that we should be remembering our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison as though we are in prison with them. And the Philippians have done that. And this relationship has brought him joy. And we're going to have more on this later, but the Philippian church was acting on that relationship, and that resulted in joy more than the gift itself. The next thing we have, and this is the big chunk of this passage, is he has this, this really weird thing he talks about. He goes, look, I'm not talking about being in need taking more emphasis off the gift itself, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content, that we can have contentment out of God's supply to us. He goes, whether I know how to be brought low, how to abound in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The ups and and downs of Paul's ministry put 2020 to shame. I mean, this guy saw revivals. He saw a lot of people coming to Christ. He saw churches planted. He saw disciples being sent out planting other churches. He preached a sermon so long, a guy died from it and then rose him back to life. He healed people. He cast out demons, and he suffered greatly. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Look, I'm talking... He he goes... Far greater labors, he's talking about his own ministry, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. He was flogged five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift, frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false... uh, Uh, see danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure and apart from other things there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. When Paul talks about being brought low it's a lowness that I hope none of us ever have to experience. And here's what he says about that. He doesn't say, oh, man, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemies. He says, look, God's taught me in that how to be content. God has taught me in all the high times. And it's hard to be content in the high times, especially in a culture where how much money do you need? Well, just a little bit more. How much success do you need? Just a little bit more. Paul's saying at the high times, I'm content, and at the low times, I'm content Paul captures for us the meaning of Psalm 23:1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That to walk with God as my shepherd and to be in want are contrasting ideas. They do not go together. Now this is, a, Paul talks about this independence and this contentment that, that he is content regardless of the situation. And this would have been the envy of of secular Stoics at the time. That this idea that he was fully dependent, that he didn't rely on any person or thing for his happiness and for his peace and his calm was the Stoic idea of fulfillment and success. He was completely independent, but he wasn't. See, the Stoics said you should find this level of contentment apart from anyone, and Paul has found this contentment apart from the world, but fully dependent on Christ himself. Our culture has a similar longing for this kind of consistency, that you be unflappable, that you be a rock, that you be untouchable by your circumstances, that you be consistent in your joy. And yet they reject the only one who can accomplish that for them. Because this is only found in Christ. And what the world is looking for and longs for, they will never find on their own. Paul tells Timothy that godliness plus contentment is great gain. And here's the thing about contentment, because we all want to know the path to that. Well, I want to get there. It's not an easy path. I don't think this level of contentment was an easy thing for Paul to get to. He had to be taught how to do this. But we have some clues in Paul's approach to it. And I think one of the main clues is in Philippians 3, that Paul meant what he said when he said, look, knowing Christ is better than anything this world can offer. And so when Paul was seeing people come to Christ in droves and seeing churches planted and watching people get healed. You know what he was doing? He was knowing Christ. And when Paul was shipwrecked, when he was beaten in an inch of his life and left for dead, when he was abandoned, when he was rejected, when he had people opposing him and no one coming to his support, you know what he was doing? He was knowing Jesus. And he was finding greater value in knowing Jesus than in anything this world could offer, because he tasted and he saw that the Lord was good. So God, in his ample supply, gives us contentment because he is our shepherd, and we shall not want. And then we get to this. Here it is. This is the sentence you've all been waiting for. It's time for me to tell you how much better 2021 is going to be than 2020. 2020. Because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm going to have a word of caution, and then we're going to have an example of what it looks like. So here's the word of caution. Don't treat your Bible like a fortune cookie. And this happens so many times. And it happens in a couple ways. One, it happens in our devos, where we read the Bible and we're like, uh, you know, especially like in the prophets, we're like, I'm just going to read until I find something I like. So we're just reading, you're like, oh, there's a bunch of death and destruction. I don't want that. I don't want that. You're like, oh, for I, know I have, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That I like. I'm going to make that my verse. 2021 is going to rock because God has plans for me and they're plans to prosper me. Name it and claim it, hallelujah. And what happens is when you do that to Jeremiah 29, 11, you lose the context that all of these people through Jeremiah's preaching have just been told, you're going to die in captivity. A lot of people who heard that were adults being told, you're going to go spend 70 years in Babylon. They're like, I don't have 70 years left. That's the point. But you know what? God has a plan. Your life is not going to be what you want it to be, and God has a plan. So trust God and not your circumstances. And that's so much deeper than, oh, next year's going to be so much better. This is my life verse for the year. Because that meaning will drop out from you. So what happens with Philippians 4.13 is we have a literal, I wish I was making this up, we have a literal clothing line called 4.13 from this verse, and it's all athletic wear. So you wear this verse that says 4.13 on your shirt, you go to the gym and you get great gains because you can do all things through him who strengthens you, including bench twice your body weight that I can become a CEO with little education through him who gives me strength. That I can fill in the blank of personal fulfillment through him who gives me strength. And this points us to a need. This points us to a need for expository preaching. This points us to a need to expositional study of Scripture. There's two ways to study the Bible. And these are these are big words that, that you're probably gonna forget in five minutes. The first is exegesis. And exegesis, think of like excavate. I'm going to dig in and see what's in here. I'm gonna pull out, I'm gonna read and read and read till I understand this so I can see what's in here, find the gold that's in here, find the jewels and the precious stones that are in here. And when I the more I do that, the more I see them everywhere, because this is God's word, living and active. That's exegesis. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to study. I'm going to read cover to cover. I'm going to read book beginning to book end. I'm going to read the genre. I'm going to read the author. I'm going to study. I'm going to look for the gospel. I'm going to look for the logical arguments that are being made over the course of pages, not over the course of five words. The second is eisegesis. Think of it like isolate. I'm going to read until I find my fortune cookie phrase. I'm going to isolate that And I'm going to make it say what I want it to say. I'm going to put myself into it. I can slay my giants. I can walk on water. I can do all things. But Paul isn't describing, in verse 13, having all kinds of worldly success and great gains in the gym. He's talking about something else entirely. And to get that, I'm going to invite my friend and brother in Christ, Harry, up here, whose last name I can say through him who gives me strength. Harry and Shore Gabo. Did I say it right? Did I get it, brother? Excellent, excellent. Harry's a, Harry, you may have seen Harry and his family here. Uh, they take up like three rows. Uh, hopefully, the rest of them will be in the second service. Uh, Harry is from Rwanda. A lot of you don't know us. Harry's a pastor. Harry does a lot of preaching in different, Harry, come on up, come on up. Harry does a lot of preaching in Congolese churches around the city, uh, and sometimes you travel further. He's like, he's kind of like the uh, John Piper of the Congolese world, the the Billy Graham of the, can I say that? That's probably a little too much. (laughs) He's like, he's like, Chuck, quit talking. Um, I asked Harry to come and talk about what this verse means for him from a testimonial point of view and from his understanding. So Harry, here you go,
1: brother. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Our joy is, is constant, because it's coming from God. Mm-hmm. Let me share my life story. I born in the Congo. Next country, we have everything we need. We have food, we have a big house, we have money. We have everything. We have the same joys. But after that, we, we travel to, to Rwanda where we live 10 years in refugee camp. But our joys are still constant. The place we don't have enough food. The place we don't have enough clothes. The place we live in the tent. The place we don't have enough medications. The place we don't have enough education. But our joys never reduced. Our joys was constant. Because our joys comes from God. If your joys come from money you have in the account, if your joys comes from the big house you have, if your joys comes from your degree or other things, that's not good choice. The, the right choice is come from God. Like Paul said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's God who gives the right choice. Mm-hmm. After that, we moved to Rwanda, where we lived for a long time, for more than 10 years in the camp. But we never changed our choice. Because our choice did not come from what we have, our joys come from what from God, not from other things. After that life, I done my schools, I get good job. But our joys was still the same. Still the same because it's not come from the money I have. I buy a house, my wife was a nurse, I was working in the bank. We changed life. But our joys never change. And then we come here to America, the place we have everything, like food, clothing. But I was living in a small house, too. But our joys never changed. But now I have a big house. Our joys never changed. Because my joys is not coming from what I have. My joys is come from God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, brother.
0: Thank you Harry was sharing his joy the whole time was constant because it was from God. There is a contentment and confidence in Christ when we are led by our shepherd. It's the fruit of holding fast to the one who does not change. He is a good, good God, and he is constant. Whether you're in a big house in the Congo or a refugee camp or a big house in the U.S., The Lord is faithful, the Lord is good, the Lord supplies. So Paul can be content and have the power to be content in hunger and thirst through the Lord who gives him strength. That you can be content and joyful in the midst of a pandemic that you don't know who's blowing smoke and who isn't because of him who gives you strength. Because our joy is in the Lord, first and foremost. In these times where we feel this push, where we're not happy because something's taken away, well, maybe God's dealing with an idol in our life. But we can do all things. We can even, like Paul, have joy in a prison cell through Christ who strengthens us. So now Paul goes from the ample supply of God to the generous expectations that God gives us. And here he deals more specifically with the gift in these next verses. He says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, that you no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving you only, even in Thessalonica. And he goes, but I, he goes, I didn't seek the gift, but the fruit that increases. And then he talks about what he's received from them in, in Aphroditus, and Epaphroditus. And then verse 19, and this is where we're going to camp out. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We need to realize God God has an economy. There's generous expectations. This comes in good gifts. Giving good gifts. That we have a God who gives and that we give. And this is in the nature, the fabric of our church. That we experience God's love, we extend God's love. So as we have the blessings from the Lord, we give those back out. Now Paul thanks them for their kindness and thanks them for the consistent care for himself throughout his ministry. That as Paul was facing tough times in different different places in his ministry, it was Philippi that kept caring for him. It was Philippi that kept praying for him. But the real gift, and this goes back to verse 10, the real gift was not the material wealth. It was the relationship. He goes, look, I mean, he's in prison and saying that he's overflowing. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Because the real gift is the relationship. And this is a big deal. And it's nearly impossible for us to overstate. There are a lot of believers in this world who just feel completely isolated and alone. And some of them have pictures hanging in our church and they're our global partners. I want you to think back to last spring when everything shut down. and, And church just happened, like the worship with other believers happened quietly in your home. And how isolating, like there there were some sweet things to that. There were some things that that I just so rejoice in from that time. And I just felt really alone in that time. And I talked to several other pastors and several of you who just felt that, that longing to be back with believers. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who don't know of another believer in their city. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that we've sent out as our global partners who can't worship corporately in the context that they're in because the country is closed. Not because of COVID, but it's closed to the gospel. That they're being there is not, not quite great in the eyes of the government. And so do you remember how that felt? when everything went back to your house and we weren't coming here, let us, with that empathy that God taught us, let us reach out. You can go on to Voice of Martyrs' website and send notes to believers who are in prison. You write the note, they get it to someone who gets it to that person in prison. You can do that from your house. You can write encouraging notes to brothers and sisters in Christ who are in prison not knowing if they'll see their family again. You can contact our global partners. I encourage you, reach out to Nancy Stripmatter, reach out to anyone else on the global outreach team, myself, Chris Milkey, Wayne, Darcy Kapishki, Marvin Hurd. Reach out to us and get contact information for our global partners. And write them notes this Thanksgiving. As you maybe can't see all the family you'd like to this week, know that they can't either. Write them notes of encouragement. Pray for them regularly. Maybe pick one that you support on your own and consider giving them a Christmas bonus of some sort as an encouragement, as a reminder of the relationship. See, Paul isn't seeking here. He's not seeking, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, I seek the fruit that increases your credit. That as we give, as we are generous, as we send in that way and support in that way, that God is glorified because a brother or sister in Christ was loved and lifted up. And it enables, as as all the times that Paul was encouraged through this Philippian church, his ministry was enabled to keep doing things. And the Philippians were able to share in the fruit of his ministry in that. Paul's whole objective is the glory of God. He calls their worship a fragrant offering, sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is worshiping God through what they've done that they have already upheld Philippians 2 in putting his needs and interests above their own and giving sacrificially. Ultimately, he cares about the glory of God in their lives. That they're giving what he's experienced and what they will continue to do for him and for others is a fragrant offering of worship to God. And then he shifts it from good gifts to a good God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God has an economy that is different than ours. Paul is saying, you met my need and God is going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but God will meet all your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your needs out of the riches of His glory. Paul is reminding them, as one commentator said that that his his ban, his benefactor he's reminding his benefactors that his god he says my god will do what he himself is in no position to do namely to reimburse them this assurance of divine supply for the philippians needs implies that they had given so liberally that they actually left themselves in some real need Now, this this verse is not a get-rich-quick scheme, but an act of faith, trusting that God provides, that I'm not the one who provides for myself. God is the one who provides for me. And how many times have we heard stories, I've just heard some stories recently, of people continuing to give even when it's sacrificial, especially when it's sacrificial, and they say, I don't know how it works out, but I have everything I need, even though I feel like I'm giving more than I was. And God just provides. Proverbs 11: 24 and 25 says, "One who gives freely, yet gro- one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered." Here's a Haitian proverb. That whoever shares his food will never go hungry. Paul is pointing them to God's economy of provision. And also he's pointing out that his God is their God. Paul wants them to know that the exact same experience of joy that he's had, the exact same experience of contentment that he's had, is available to them in Christ Jesus. And I feel like there's so many times in my life where I've just missed what God was doing. And it's not because I didn't deserve it, but because I didn't act, because I didn't do that sacrificial gift that God was burning on my heart, because I stayed sitting back because I wasn't willing to go out on a limb and act out in faith. And I've missed that. And Paul is saying that what I've experienced, you can experience. Walk with God. Follow Him. Do these little things of reading your Bible, praying, acting in faith, memorizing Scripture, praising the Lord. You... Can do all things through God who strengthens you because the same God that's done this through me can do it through you. We have the same God. We have the God who can save anyone. This verse 22 should just shock us that he's greeting them, especially from the believers in Caesar's household. That God can do all things. His blessings are available and abundant. Paul, in prison, has this level of joy and confidence. Harry, as you were sharing, one of the things that that jumped out to me is that so often I'm shocked at the joy that someone can have when they don't have what I have. Paul is joyful in prison. And that surprises me because so much of my joy is tied up into my physical freedom. I've had times where I've gone to, to different developing countries, Haiti, Guatemala, Venezuela, in my life. And you know, in Haiti especially, it just jumps out. I, and I'd have my youth group tell me, they'd say, they have nothing and they're joyful. This is the weirdest thing. Because so much of our joy and contentment was tied up in our house and our stuff and our phones and our nice clothes and not having to think about where the next meal was coming from. Let us not confuse the provisions God gives us with the joy and contentment God gives us. Let us rejoice in Him who can do all things because He has done all things. He has saved us. Joy is not surprising when we find joy in the right one. Thanksgiving is going to feel very different this year. And I encourage you, as you look around the table and see the empty seats, that you would not fix your joy and your gaze there, but you would fix your gaze in heaven and upward remembering all that God has done for you and all that God will continue to do. And that as you face these times of relational want, that your contentment would be in the one who will never leave you or forsake you, the one who is always with you, that your joy would be in Him. And that as you give, that you would experience God supplying every need. Let us pray. Father God, we lift this up to you. We rejoice in you, our good God, our Father, who loves us, who supplies us. Lord, would you help us? Help us, God, to see the greatness of what you've done. Help us to see and understand and realize that you are always with us. And we can do all things. We can face this year. We can face the coming months with all that they have because it's not myself giving me strength to do it, but it's you giving me strength to do it. And your strength is so available. I pray that we will not miss it. In Jesus' name, amen.